So, for those that have known me for a while, you'll know this to be true, and I bet even those who have just met me in the last month would say, yep, I know this to be true as well. I really, really, really like to talk. Like, I, I, I like to talk, like, to anybody. Um, maybe you're a freshman that we met at Impact, and, like, you couldn't get away from our booth because I like to talk. Or, or maybe we met you on campus one day, and I like to talk. See, I, I think I'm becoming yours and mine's mom, all right? Because I don't care who it is, I will talk to anyone, complete stranger. I now have friends in every department of my HEB, because I just talk to everybody. That, that's who I am. But, but there's a place, though, I will tell you that I don't like to talk. Where it, it's this weird phenomenon that if you will put me on a plane, all I want is headphones, a movie downloaded, and complete silence until we wheels up and wheels down, right? Like, I do not want to talk on an airplane, even though I am now sharing a tight space and rubbing outer thighs with this complete stranger... Beyond the pleasantries of, hey, nice to see you, I hope I'm not taking up too much space, I'm just done, right? Like, we lock in, it's kind of who can put their headphones in first without feeling bad about it, and 25A and 25B ride in complete silence, sharing breathing space, which now we think about with COVID, we're sharing that breathing space, but we share nothing else in life. There's something about us being in an airplane that we can just be merely associates and be okay. But then there's also this other place that I've been. And Asa Cable, he's in here somewhere. He got to work on this all summer, I'm pretty sure. If you've ever been rafting, who in here would say, yes, I've been whitewater rafting, right? Okay, a good number of you. When you're rafting, you get in this inflatable raft. I think it's inflatable, and we're just going to go with that right now. You get in this inflatable raft, right? And you hop in, and you have to sign this paper that says, I may die, and if I do die, I'm not going to blame you for my death, right? Like, we sign off our life, we hop in this raft with random strangers and a few people we know, and then we experience three hours journeying through class four rapids together. And here's the thing about rafting. You cannot just be associates, in rafting, you are knocking paddles with each other, you're falling over onto each other, you're helping each other up, you're saving each other's lives, right? Like, we are dependent upon one another in those three hours to keep yourself and the others in this boat alive. Rafting is all about participation. I'm pretty sure, Asa, I know you were a, a, guy, a guide all summer, right? Like, it, if somebody's just going to sit there and not paddle, you probably just let them float down it, right? Like, we, you have to participate. It is a team sport. When then I think about our churches, and we're in this series on a church reset, right? Unlearning Christianity in order to follow Christ. I think that we consider church much more like a trip on a flight than a trip down a rapid. See, we show up and we talk briefly and we sit with the people that we know. If there's a time where we have to greet others, that's okay. We get down and sit down and we just buckle in and hope that we land on time, right? The pastor lets us out because our stomachs begin rumbling. And while we have shared this space, we've never shared our life together. But I think that the church was meant to be much more like a rafting trip than an airplane trip. 
And so this morning, what I want us to do is to unpack that logic. How do we now live together, participating, not just passengers? How can we share not only space, but share our lives with those around us? So that's where we're going to go. In in Acts 2, this is where we are for the whole series. So if you want to go ahead and just, you know, put dog ear that, put your little tab there. Acts 2 is where we're going to be, verses 42 through 47. Last week we started in the first uh, verse of that, in verse 42, and really stopped after like the fifth word. And we discovered that we are to be devoted to the word of God, to the apostles' teaching, that we are to be studying it, spending our life in constant pursuit and intense effort in showing up with God because it makes no sense to show up on Sunday if we don't do anything on Monday, that we are committed to following Jesus and learning from him to live like him. And so now we're going to continue on. Verse 42, and I'll say this before. I hope that this week that you are more devoted to the word of God. And if you're beating yourself up because, oh, I missed a day or I missed three days, we are not demanding perfection, but what we are hoping for you is progress, that each day you are getting better at your devotion and abiding with God. So now, verse 42, let's see where we're going today. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Where we're going today is the second half of verse 42. They were devoted to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Now, you've probably heard this phrase, better together, right? I bet Target sells multiple things. You can probably wear a shirt, or you can put it, it's beside the gather signs. You know, like, there is a way that you can get something that says better together. I have a coffee mug I walked past this morning that says better together. I love that idea, right? I've even heard a spin of it that I think is even better. It says together is better that's even better to say, right? Like, I'm proud of that. We, we do want to push you to being together. But I do think that that stops short. See, I think what we're still doing is offering together as an option to you. To, to say, okay, together is better. Great. You should try this. It's pretty nice. You know, like, Lane's is objectively better than Kane's. But, but, I mean, like, Cain's is still good. And so, like, we're still offering that if you're not together, then it's okay. Here's what I want to make a definitive statement. Together is best. Together is best. This is the best way. This is how God has created us. This is how we are to live. It's not just an option to choose. It's a requirement that we must understand and appreciate and live out. Alone is not a viable option, students. Solo Christianity is not biblical Christianity. It may be what was modeled. It may be what is the tradition. It may be what is the expectation. It may be what you have seen and we have passed down for the last 2,000 years. But that is not biblical Christianity. I get real frustrated when people talk about, oh, well, my faith is private. 
No, we, we go on and tell it to the mountains and tell it to the masses and all of this. A, a private faith is not a true understanding of what Jesus is calling us to do. So together is best. It's not, well, it might be okay. I love Ed Stetzer's quote on this from Transformational Discipleship. It says, if you do discipleship alone, your spiritual development is slower at best and warped at worst. Why would we choose anything that's going to be slowed down? Why would we continue to sit in something that doesn't make sense? And it's not biblical. The Christian life is not an individual journey towards personal holiness. It's a communal hike. And listen, I don't go hiking by myself. Like, I I would go step into the woods, and about two minutes I would turn around and go, that was miserable. And honestly, I think if I was doing Christianity by myself, that's the same way I'd treat it. That was just too hard. That was too difficult. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. No, we are on a communal hike together. Eugene Peterson says a long obedience in the same direction, but it's a together activity. When I was studying the uh, word, uh, the fellowship that it says, and some of you Lord of the Ring nerds are going, oh, he's talking about the fellowship. Not that, all right? We're, we're too cool for that, all right? Uh, sorry, Cameron. <laughs> Uh, the freshman guys got into that the other night, and I'm sorry. Um, no, yes, uh, they're pretty proud of it. But anyways, um, I get distracted sometimes. Uh, the fellowship literally translates to partnership. They were devoted to a partnership with one another. Is that how we view Bible studies and small groups? Is that how we do view discipleship relationships? Is that how we view Sunday school? Is that how we view who our church is? No. We don't even know half the people's names. But the early church is setting us up to understand this is a partnership with one and another. Um, in community, I am freely able to admit that I am a failure, a sinner that I have doubts and questions, that I'm hurting, that I'm a disappointment. Community is where I am carried to Jesus because I need to be carried to him way more often than you imagine. A few years ago, um, through a conversation with Ms. Lauren Finney at a summer small group, the study, we were studying the the guy, the paralytic. If you know that story, there's a guy in uh, Mark who is paralyzed. And so he can't work, he can't make a living, he can't really even feed himself except from generosity of others. And as we study that idea, I began to realize that everything in my life is setting me up to avoid being the paralytic. Now, I enjoy being able to walk. That's not what I'm saying. What I mean is everything in my life is setting me up to not need anybody for anything at any time. And I bet many of you are like me. You don't want to need anything from anyone at any time. And so everything in our life is to make ourselves self-sufficient. But what I realized in the paralytic is that if I am not going to be willing to allow others to help me, then I am going to miss the healings and blessings that Jesus has for me. If you remember the story, his friends pick him up on each corner of his mat. They take him to the front door. It's too full. They can't get in. So then they climb the roof. They open a hole in the wall, I mean a hole in the roof. They drop their friend down and Jesus not only forgives him of I me, mean, heals him, but he forgives him of his sins. It's this great picture, but here's what I learned. I am not willing to be carried to Jesus. Here's a way that you can think of it. I always want to be the prayer, never the prayer request. 
When that awkward time comes, hey, how can we be praying for you guys? I want to sit there quietly knowing what I'm addicted to, knowing my fears, knowing my doubts, knowing my confusions, knowing where I am struggling, knowing where my following Jesus is not aligning to what Jesus is calling me to do, and yet I don't ever bring that up because I don't want to show that I'm a flawed human being. Instead, I hold in where I need others to carry me to Jesus, and I just go, oh, I'll pray for you because your aunt's having eye surgery, and it's going to, you know, we'll see. We don't want to be requests. We just want to be prayers. That's not how biblical Christianity works. That's not a partnership. We like to share maybe bits of our past, and we use very specific language to make it not show too much bad, but we will never show our present and how we're hurting because we don't understand community and partnership. All right, that's a soapbox for me. Sorry, I get off on them every once in a while. All right, I'm going to read you a quote, and then we're going to give you three reasons why you must be a part of a community, and we don't create that as a non-negotiable, or that's a non-negotiable for us. So here's the quote, fantastic. The Christian needs another Christian. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a martyr to Nazi Germany because he would not follow suit of Hitler, and I'm pretty sure he was executed like seven days before his concentration camp was freed. It's a really sad story, a really great man. And here's what he says, the Christian needs another Christian to speak God's words to him. Why? Because the Christ in my own heart is weaker than the words in my brother. See, in my heart, I'm shaky and uncertain, but in my brother's words, he is sure. We need one another. So this morning, I'm going to challenge you. Will you reset your understanding of what community looks like? Will you understand that together is best and that faith forms best with friends? That's why I'm wearing a t-shirt to church. It's excusable because it says that. Will you be willing to realize that solo Christianity is not biblical Christianity? And will you make a change to how you're acting? Will you hop in the raft with us and journey through the choppy and dangerous waters of following Jesus? And will you carry me to Jesus and allow me to carry you to him as well? That's a big introduction. I have three really quick points. I don't really love points, but these are must-know points. So three points on why you must commit to community. First of all, community is obedience to God. It is how God created you. Students, you love the question, what is God's will for my life? Who in here has asked that question, right? Okay, you sheepishly pray it. You don't really know if you really want to because then it may take you overseas and you're like, I was really just meaning, like, which suburb of Dallas was I supposed to live in? Like, I mean, let's just be honest. Was I supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer? That's what we were wanting to figure out. Um, but you want me to tell you what God's will for your life right now is? For you to be a part of honest and vulnerable community where you are sharing and receiving encouragement in Christ. God's will for your life in this season of life is for you to be in honest and vulnerable relationships where you are sharing and receiving encouragement in Christ. If you are operating outside of that, that is not how God has created you or desires you to live right now. How do I know that? Genesis 2. Adam is made, and what does God say? It is not good for man to be alone, so I'm going to create a suitable helper. Don't be trying to go, well, less than. No, 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 we're not getting into any of that sort of stuff. A, a partner with Adam. 
Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. But then read verse 10. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. But then it takes another step, right? Not neglecting to meet with one another as is the habit of some. It doesn't make any sense to the author of Hebrews that we would have Christians around us and yet fail to meet with them and to be in honest and vulnerable relationships where we are sharing not only space but our lives. It makes no sense. Obedience to God's will and to God's word is to be committed to community. Sharing your life with others. Second, community is where life change happens. Community is where your life is changed. If you look back at Acts 2, 42, and then in 44, it, because they were devoted to one another, because they were intense effort in partnership with one another, then it changed how they lived among each other. They were selling things. They were giving things. They were meeting needs. Why? Because they were devoted to one another. They cared about one another, and they couldn't help but then share with one another because they're not going to see somebody hurting that they know and love and just allow them to continue to hurt. James will say, if you see a man cold, why do you just say, oh, I hope you get well. I hope you warm up. Oh, you're hungry? Oh, I I hope God blesses you. No, give them a jacket. Give them food. This is how we operate with people that we are partnered with. So I'll tell you a story, a quick story. I know that this is where life change happens because I've experienced this. So uh, in April, quarantine hit, right? Like, And so we all became very familiar with Zoom calls. Who in here loves Zoom calls? Okay, got one, two, okay. (laughs) Little Josiah loves them. Gideon, sorry, they're twins. Uh, Close enough. We care about twins. People matter. All right. Uh, Anyways, Um, so we're on a Zoom call, and um, some people chalk this up to Jordan being Jordan. I chalk it up to spiritual immaturity and not being Christ-like, and I was just acting in a way that just just wasn't godly. I just was not... Uh, I was kind of flaunting freedom and using spiritual arrogance and in a way so much that I was convicted how I acted. Um, But I kind of kept that internally. And then have you ever had this happen where like you're convicted, but then you allow time to allow that conviction to go away and never have to deal with it? I was kind of at that point. Ready? I was brushing my teeth. I was like, "Ah, I'll just move on. And then I received a text from one of the people on that Zoom call who texted me and said, hey, can we meet up? I get that text a lot. Students, I'd love for you then to add, because I want to talk about this. That's usually really helpful for me. But I get that text a lot, and it always in your head, you're playing through all the different categories that this conversation could be. But one that stuck out is, I think they noticed how I acted. And I think they're going to call me out on it. I had known this person for less than a year. We go to a park, we walk around, we meet up. And this person pretty much says, hey, I'm concerned about you. Because I'm in a relationship with you, and I worry about you personally. I worry about you as a, in your family. And I worry about the, your ability to do ministry based on the way you were acting in this conversation. I'm a pastor receiving a pastoral conversation. It ain't the most fun always. Initially, I want to justify and defend myself. Well, I mean, this is okay, and this is justifiable, and this is, you know, why are you being so legalistic? And, but I just stopped. I said, you're right. Thank you for calling me out. 
That wasn't appropriate. That wasn't Christ-like. That was nowhere close to godliness. And if I'm going to live like that, how can I lead others and shepherd others along the way? Community is where life change happens. And there's been direct results as a result of that conversation in April that has changed how I've lived all the way until this day. Because somebody with an honest and vulnerable conversation called me out. But I know that it's more than just anecdotal information. I don't know, there's a few stats that are going to pop up, and this is stats of people who are regularly in community versus those who are not. And the stats are backwards, but I think you'll understand by the numbers like that what it matters. If you are committed to community, listen to this, you are 67, 67% of the people that are committed to community read their Bible, while only 27% that are not. Here it gets even more. They consider biblical truths. Three-fourths of people who are committed to community consider biblical truths throughout the week, while less than half if they're not in community. And this was the real game changer. Do you want to stay committed to your faith? 20% of people who do not, involve, do not connect to community will be committed to a church five years from now. On 90%, just almost 90%, will be if they're committed to community. This changes the game. We cannot follow on our own. Personal holiness will wear us out. Behavior modifications will kill us over time. Legalism will take over. But community speaks grace and truth and encouragement and exhortation. It equips us and it corrects us. This is why it matters. Final point. Community is where we live out the scriptures. I like to think of it this way. Biblical community, small groups, discipleship, that sort of stuff. This is the lab of the Christian life. And think about your lab. What do you do in a lab? You go and you put into practice the lecture, right? You, you go and you start acting out the textbook. And I'll go ahead and warn you, it gets messy, right? You have to wear pants and closed-toed shoes and cool safety goggles and a lab coat. Why? Because labs are messy. The real world is messy. When you step into community, it is going to be messy because you're going to have people confess to you about addictions, about uh, sin problems that they have had for the last 10 years. You're going to get confessed about abuse in their history. You're going to get confessed to about all these issues that they're dealing with, doubts and struggles and problems. It gets messy but it's worth it. This is how we live out the scriptures. This is how we live out the encourage one another and teach one another, how we sacrifice for one another, how we give to one another, how we rebuke in loving and kind ways. This is how we live out the Christian life. So I think of community this way, and I'm on our last page, I promise. This is how I think of it. In community... We are learning. So my time in the Word throughout the week is learning with my community, right? We're learning in First Peter or in conversations with Jesus. I'm learning from because when, you know, somebody offers a thought, I go, wow, I didn't realize that. Thank you, Hayden, for sharing that with me. You know, wow, Carol, that's a great, I have never read that passage that way. I appreciate your knowledge on that. But also we have to remember that our time in the Word is for one another. That when I show up and I read the book of Matthew, I'm not only being equipped and I'm not only being encouraged, but then I get to share it with you, what God is teaching me. 
Because what is happening in you, what God is working in you, students, will flow through you to those around you. What God is working in you will flow through you to those around you. So, will you put into practice love for the unlovable, mercy for the arrogant, humility for those that are wrong, compassion for the hurting? Will you mourn with the mourning, weep with the weeping, uh, stand with the struggling and help the hurting? Will you put into practice Sunday, or does it just sit in this room? Last week I shared with you about expectations and promises. We expect you to be devoted to following Jesus and we promise to equip you and encourage you in that journey. We also expect you to be committed to community. In this room, you can go up to anybody that's been here for more than a year with us and they'll tell you, yes, small group's the best thing I do. It's the best part of our ministry. And I don't mind saying that. Yeah, I get to teach every week. The best part of our ministry is when you go sit in a living room or at the BSM with someone. So we expect you to be a part of community. We offer small groups, meet weekly, and there are relationships that form. They study the word together. They pray together. They even eat together oftentimes. But also we have discipleship. In this room, I'm looking at different adults and even some student leaders who are discipling students, who are meeting regularly in accountability and vulnerable relationships. We want you to be committed to these types of things. Both of those, small groups, you can go to our website and find that, discipleship, you find Cooper, you find me, you find an upperclassman, we will get you plugged in, because we believe that life change happens when you share your life with others. So, um, and it's kind of random, Danielle, I sent you Maddie, right, last spring, y'all didn't know each other, you show, she shows up at your house randomly, and I call you the next day and you go, oh, it was great, it was so easy, neither one of us stopped talking the whole time, right, like, sharing life is where life change happens. So we offer that. We expect you. And so our promise is we're going to pursue you with that. The way I like, I'm not going to tell that story. We don't need it. All right, moving on. Um, Here's the last thing. Here's our second promise. Most important promise I have for you. If you will commit to community, if you'll stay around with us, I promise you that we will create a craving for community that you will never lose. The way I like to say it, because I like to use negative terms, we will ruin you for the sake of community if you commit to it. Here's what I know. 14 years ago, I walked into a freshman Bible study. I can show you the exact room in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And sat across the room from a guy who would become uh, one of the best men, in, I guess what do you call it, groomsmen, right? Sorry, Carmen, thank you. In my wedding. 14 years ago, I started a journey in being in Christian community, and every semester since, I've been involved in a small group because it's where my life gets changed. Here's what I can't tell you. I cannot tell you every study we learned from. I cannot tell you every book we, we studied or every quote that we had or even the, the action steps that we had to take. Here's what I can tell you most of the time is the people in that room and what they meant to me and how they spoke truth and life in me. We have gone to churches. We've now been in three churches since we've been married. Each one didn't have small groups going when we got there. Each one, when we left, we were involved in a small group that was really hard to give up. I'm going to ruin you for the sake of community because here's what's going to happen. You're going to graduate from us, and we're going to send you out. And you're going to show up at the next church, and you're going to say, y'all don't have small groups? Well, I'm starting this. You're going to show up and go, oh, y'all have small groups, but y'all aren't really using the word? No, we're going to adjust this because this biblical community matters to me. 
I've seen it happen with those that have graduated from us. I, I promise it will happen. We will ruin you for the sake of community if you'll allow us. So, three reasons why you have to pursue and commit to community is one, well, hopefully they throw up, there we go. It's where God created you to be. It's God's will for your life. Two, it's where life change happens. And three, it's where we live out. It's the lab of the Christian life. If you do not know how to get involved in something like that, if you don't know if that's something that you really want to do, I dare you to show up this week. If you're a freshman with us, we have it on Wednesdays and Thursdays. If you're an upperclassman, we have it every night of the week just about. We want you to be in community, no excuses. And when I say committed, I don't mean be on a roll. I don't mean like you showed up once and, uh, okay. No, committed to community becomes this is a part of my daily and, or weekly schedule. I'm here. What's really fun is, um, I'm going to pick on them. There's a group of like 10 guys sitting on a row right there that met each other 10 days ago. Most of them. Some of them a little longer. But because they keep showing up to community. And I look around and there's girls that we have seen that they've been here for 10 days and they go, yeah, I'm committed to community. I'm going to grow with others. It's really neat to see how this takes place. So that's my challenge. I dare you to show up this week. Because I promise you, we will live up to our promises. Let me pray and we'll sing a song as we end. Dear Lord, when we think about being in honest and vulnerable relationships, we have a lot of excuses that come to mind. I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. I don't know if I know anybody. It might be awkward. Lord, I pray right now for you to work on those excuses. You will break down those walls, those barriers that stand in the way from students experience what you desire for them. So Lord, will you work to connect people to community because when we share lives life change life changes so lord i pray for boldness and courage for students to step out some students crave being around others and others just want to sit in their dorm by themselves lord i pray that you give them the boldness and the confidence to step out of their uh, their ruts and into what will change there are two, three, four years. Lord, I pray for our small group leaders that you will, um, that you will give them a, a desire for you that overflows into their group, that what you're working in them will flow through them to those around them. Will you allow them to be facilitators of your presence and to encourage others to be able to be vulnerable and open and to share their life and not just share a space. Lord, we truly believe faith forms best with friends. It's the only option. So pull us out of our comfort zones and into these places.